evening we look together to really the second half of Article 35 in our Belgic Confession. But before we do that, I'd like to read with you two passages that, uh, that are among those that are summarized in this portion of our confession as we consider what it means to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The first of these is from Exodus 12, the second from 1 Corinthians 10. Now Exodus 12, well if you know your Bible you know that that probably doesn't talk about the Lord's Supper directly. In fact it talks about the predecessor, the, the, uh, the preceding sacrament which the Lord's Supper uh, fulfilled, or the Lord's Supper replaced when, when that first sacrament had been fulfilled. It talks about the Passover. We're going to read from Exodus 12, just three verses, verses 43 through 45. Now this is about the Passover. Exodus 12 talked about the first Passover in particular, and how God called His people to slaughter a, a sheep in each household, and earlier in the chapter, it talks about how they were to take the blood from that little lamb. They were to put it on the doorposts. And that would serve as a, a reminder to them and a sign for God. And he would pass by their house. He would pass over them. Hence the name of the sacrament. And would not kill the firstborn in their house like he was doing throughout Egypt. He would uh, pass over them with the plague. But at the same time, that, that lamb which protected them from God's wrath, it also would nourish them and would equip them for the journey that, they, that lay ahead of them. Well, after explaining all of that, Exodus 12 talks about how this is to be an ordinance each year for them. They were to celebrate the sacrament of Passover throughout their generations to remember how God had delivered them and how He would deliver them, how He had nourished them and how He would continue to nourish them. It was to, to really point them forward to Christ. But when they celebrated that Passover sacrament, they were to do so in a particular way. And He describes all of that. And in the midst of that description, He says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every man's servant who is bought for money when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. And just, just a little further down, look at verses 48 and following. When a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among you. So we see that the Passover sacrament was for the people of Israel uniquely because it reminded them of what God had done, not for everyone indiscriminately, but for them in particular, and what He had promised, not to everyone indiscriminately, but to them in particular. Now from that we go forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 both speak in various places. Among other things, they speak of the Lord's Supper and what that sacrament shows us concerning our relationship with God. Well, in the midst of that, <clears throat> verses 16 through 22 of 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, 
are one bread and one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? No. Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Amen. And so we'll come back to that. But notice well how that, how that passage points out to us the unity with Christ that we have, which is signified to us and deepened in us by the Lord's Supper. With that in mind, Article 35 in our Confession of Faith. I want to read that first paragraph with you again. We believe and confess that our Savior Jesus Christ did ordain and institute the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and support those whom he has already regenerated and incorporated into his family, which is the church. And last week we considered that all the way over to the next page, uh, down that first column. But then on page 88 we pick up at further. Further, though the sacraments are connected with the thing signified, nevertheless, both are not received by all men. That is, both the sacrament and the thing which is signified. The ungodly indeed receives the sacrament to his condemnation, but he does not receive the truth of the sacrament. Even as Judas and Simon the sorcerer both indeed received the sacrament, but not Christ who was signified by it, of whom believers only are made partakers. Lastly, we receive this holy sacrament in the assembly of the people of God with humility and reverence, keeping up among us a holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior, with thanksgiving, making their confession of our faith and of the Christian religion. Therefore, no one ought to come to this table without having previously rightly examined himself, lest by eating of the bread and drinking of this cup he eat and drink judgment to himself. In a word, we are moved by the use of this holy sacrament to a fervent love toward God and and our neighbor. Therefore we reject all mixtures and damnable inventions which men have added unto and blended with the sacraments as profanations of them and affirm that we ought to rest satisfied with the ordinance which Christ and his apostles have taught us and that we must speak of them in the same manner as they have spoken. Amen. Beloved disciples of Christ by the foreordination of God. Some would say that we Christians aren't a very inclusive bunch. When they say that, they, they don't mean how we treat guests who walk in the door. I hope. I mean, when, when we have guests come in the door, we, we greet them, I hope. We seem to greet them with smiles and with handshakes. If they show up for a morning service, we invite them to stay for, for Sunday school or catechism. We urge them to join us for our, our weekly fellowship meal that we might get to know them and, and show them the love of Christ. We generally go out of, the, out of our way to remember their names and, and get to know a few things about them in the hope that they'll show up again and, and we can make them welcome. But what offends people is that we have the nerve to arrange our worship service in such a way that people from outside, people who've never joined us, feel 
like outsiders. Like this is something a little bit foreign to them. And worse than that, we have the absolute insensitivity to exclude some of them from joining us in celebrating the sacrament that gives us such comfort. Folks look at that and they think, how rude, how presumptuous. Do you think that, that you're better than others? That's how some people view our practice. And of course, there's little we can do about that. But I hope, I hope that their allegation is wrong. That we don't think ourselves better. We don't think ourselves somehow superior. And that's why we exclude people from partaking of the Lord's Supper. And that's why we order our worship without regard necessarily, or at least primarily, for visitors. But we do these not because we think ourselves better. No, we do these things because we recognize ourselves as a peculiar people. Now that's not a word we use very often anymore and, and certainly not in the sense that it's spoken of here. Normally when we talk about something being peculiar, we talk about it being strange. But the church fathers, especially the, the fathers of the Reformation, spoke of us being a peculiar people and, and I think that's something we need to get a renewed vision of. What they spoke of, what they meant when they called us a peculiar people was what Moses meant when he wrote to God's people in Deuteronomy 7 saying, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. But then lest they get the wrong idea, lest they begin to believe that it's because they're so great, they're so wonderful, they're better than all the rest, Moses disabuses them of that notion. He says, no, the Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep his oath, which he swore to your fathers... That's why the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage. In other words, it was because of His promise. It was because of His grace. It wasn't because of you. Elsewhere, He points out, it wasn't because you're such a good people. Do I need to remind you of all of the rebellions that you have committed, all of the ways you've muttered against God, all of the ways that you've shown your lack of faith? In other words, it's not because we have in any sense merited God's favor but simply because of His grace. He determined to set His love upon us. He determined to call us out to Himself and make us His holy people. And that's what makes us peculiar. That's what makes us set apart from the rest of mankind. Not anything in us, not anything inherent to us, not anything we've accomplished, but God's sovereign mercy. And it's that peculiar nature, that set-apart nature of God's people that makes us sometimes different. As God's peculiar people, we don't aim our worship to make people feel comfortable and at home. We aim our worship, first of all, above all, to please God, to obey His commands. As God's peculiar people, we don't aim to satisfy the desires of the flesh. 
but rather to satisfy the commands of the Lord and the intentions of the Holy Spirit. All of our activities, as God's peculiar people, all of our activities ought to aim at pleasing God and at shunning that which displeases God, and that includes the way we celebrate our sacraments. You see, that's the lesson that our forefathers wanted us to keep in mind as we considered this sacrament of the Lord's Supper. That it's not a sacrament that was given for just anyone. It was given to a unique people for a unique purpose, and therefore it ought to be celebrated in a unique way. And that's what we consider as we look at this second part of Article 35 of our Confession. We confess that Christ ordained the Lord's Supper as a peculiar meal. A unique meal, a set-apart meal. And that means, first of all, that it is to be served to a unique people, and secondly, that it's to be received in a unique way. So that's what we're going to consider briefly this evening. First of all, that it's to be served to a unique people. Consider how this article of our confession begins. Jesus gave this sacrament in order to nourish and support those whom he has already regenerated and incorporated into his family, which is the church. What's it mean to be regenerated? Kids, you remember the story of Nicodemus? was a Pharisee that had come to believe because of what Jesus did that he was in fact from God, that he was the Messiah. And so he came to Jesus. He came at night because he didn't want to be uh, discovered and shamed. But he came to ask Jesus some questions. And Jesus told him, Jesus told him the only one who can truly appreciate him, the only one who can have what he's come to give, is the one who has been born a second time. Born not merely the way everybody else is born, of the flesh, but born also of the Spirit through the Gospel. That's regeneration. It's when the Holy Spirit comes and works in our hearts to turn us from a selfish focus on sin to a selfless focus on the Lord, to show us our sin and make us hate that sin and desire the holiness of God, to turn us away from the death and the sin and the destruction that once enslaved us and cause us to trust in Christ. That's regeneration. What God does in us to deliver us in Christ. Those whom God has chosen and regenerated through the Holy Spirit They become open to the gospel. They begin living in faith toward Christ. And they begin embracing the people of God as their people, as their family, as the family of God. Well, having been made alive through the work of the Holy Spirit, God's people need to be nourished. We talked about that last week. It is spiritual nourishment which we need, spiritual feeding. And part of the the way that God has ordained for us to receive that is through the Lord's Supper. But notice it's for spiritual nourishment. There's some physical nourishment in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, but really it's barely a snack. It falls far short of what we need to physically sustain our life. But that's not what it was given for. It was given to nourish our souls. It was given to provide a spiritual nourishment. Last week we talked about how the Lord's Supper was the replacement, the fulfillment of the Passover. Passover was a physical sacrament that pointed forward. It was physical in that the physical blood delivered them from a physical death and the meat of that physical meal nourished their bodies for a physical uh, bodily uh, labor of 
walking out of the land of Egypt, walking into the wilderness where God would sustain them. And yet even as it brought nourishment and deliverance for their bodies, the Passover pointed them forward to a spiritual deliverance and a spiritual nourishment. It showed them that that the blood of Christ would deliver them from eternal death, spiritual death. It showed them that the, the sacrifice of Christ's body The pouring out of His blood would deliver us from the spiritual bondage we had to sin and death and Satan and would nourish us for our journey all the way to the new heavens and the new earth and eternity beyond. That's why Passover was so crucial to Israel. It it reminded them of the reality of God's love they already had experienced, but also the fullness of God's love that He would pour out in Christ. Well, with that sacrament of the Passover, God was very clear, as we saw in, in uh, Exodus. The, the people of God, and the books of Moses are very clear about this, the people of God were to be exceedingly welcoming to visitors, to sojourners, to, to people who came into their midst. They were to remember that they were strangers in the land of Egypt. And God welcomed them, God loved them, God delivered them with an outstretched arm. And so they were to receive sojourners, visitors, travelers with eagerness and openness. They were to give them whatever they stood in need of. They were to love them and cherish them and welcome them among them. But this meal, this sacrament, they were not to share. No foreigner is to eat of it, they said, or God said. And then he said, a sojourner and a hired hand shall not eat of it. Only those who were circumcised, those who had received the sacrament that said they were part of God's people. They were Israelites. Because this was a meal that that assured them of the promises given in God's covenant. Kids, you remember that promise? I will be your God and the God of your descendants after you and you shall be my people. That was a big promise, right? Promise that he would forgive their sins, that he would provide for them all of their life and eternally. But that wasn't a promise he gave to every individual in every nation. No, it was a promise he gave to the offspring of Abraham. And since that was the promise that was given in Passover, only those who had been incorporated into Israel, only those who were part of that covenant people should partake of the sacrament because otherwise... Well, otherwise, they were implying that they received that promise when they hadn't. There was only one way for a non-Israelite to join in the celebration of the Passover. And we heard that. When a stranger who dwells among you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land. Only by becoming a member of the covenant professing faith in Israel's God, renouncing all others as false gods, receiving the sign and seal of God's covenant. Only in that way could they come. But once they had done that, they were true Israelites. They were true members of the covenant. And they not only could, but they must partake of the sacrament because those promises were to them. They were their promises. Well, as for the Passover, so too of the Lord's Supper. This has not been given as a common meal. Our weekly fellowship dinners, those are different. Those we certainly should share with our guests and visitors. In fact, I think it would be wrong for us to have guests and visitors and not invite them to stay. We should show them love. We should welcome them with the love of Christ. 
There's always food enough. Please come, stay, enjoy. But this meal of the Lord's Supper, this is different. It was given to the church alone to be served to God's peculiar, unique people. Because it was given to bestow on us a unique blessing. The blessing of the covenant. The blessing of Christ. So we must not invite all to partake indiscriminately. Because then we would give them a wrong idea. We would give them the idea that, that what Christ did in allowing His body to be broken and His blood to be poured out, that that benefits everyone regardless of how they receive Him, regardless of how they respond to Him, regardless of whether they're seeking to live in a way that acknowledges that they trust in Him alone. And that's not what He said. In fact, He said... In Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said there are many who will come to him on the day of judgment and say, Lord, Lord, did we not confess you as our God, as our King? And he'll, he'll say to them, depart from me, you workers of wickedness, you workers of lawlessness. In other words, they spoke of him a few times. But they didn't live as his disciples. They didn't show that they truly trusted in him by the confession of their life. And we must not encourage that. We must not encourage people to think that they're part of Christ when they haven't really trusted in him, when they haven't really come to know him. If we do that, we're actually doing them a disservice. We're allowing them to think all is well when it's not. Now this is the responsibility of the elders. Our elders have been raised up as shepherds. They're called to answer for the spiritual well-being of those whom God has drawn to them. They're called to lead us in following God's commands and, and understanding God's word. And they're called to protect us also from going astray. So these shepherds among us must be guarding this special sacrament. That means that, that they need to be teaching our young people, brothers, you need to be teaching those young people what it means to be members of the church and how they're to show their faith in Christ and, and how they're to examine their hearts and prepare themselves to come to the Lord's Supper. And when those young people begin to show maturity, begin to show that they, they really understand, they get it. It's your calling, brothers, not to just sit there and wait for them to come. No, it's your calling to urge them. Hey, why haven't you made profession of faith yet? Why haven't you come and... and met with the elders to show that you understand what we believe and that you have the maturity to examine your life and take up your role as a mature member. Why haven't you come and urged the elders to admit you to the Lord's Supper? Brothers, that's your calling. But also with regard to our visitors. It's your calling to meet with them and to find out, do they have a church home? Are they professing members there? Are they in good standing? If they are, by all means, welcome them when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But if they aren't, then our elders have the opportunity to, to stand before them and say, listen, we want you to not partake, but we want to visit with you and explain why. We want to visit with you and explain what the sacrament is about and and really how you can have those blessings for yourself. So brothers, that's your calling. And that's an uncomfortable calling. But it's also a wonderful blessing, a wonderful opportunity. However, we all must understand that's not the calling of the elders alone. Because all of us are called to bring visitors. 
We're called to invite our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, our relatives. We're called to urge all of them to come. And while we know that they'll find this worship service to be a bit peculiar, a bit different than anything else they experience, we have the calling and the privilege of explaining to them why we do what we do. And if you don't understand some question they ask you, that's okay. Find the answer for them and get back to them. And if you know that we're celebrating the Lord's Supper on a day that they're coming, then it's your calling to find out how they need to respond. If they're a member of a church somewhere, make sure they get there early so they can meet with the elders. So they can join us in partaking. And if they're not members of a church, if they don't yet know the Lord or they're very immature in their faith, then prepare them beforehand so that they're not offended. So that they understand why the elders guard the table. That they recognize that it's an act of love seeking to prevent well, we'll talk about that in a moment, but seeking to prevent harm. But make sure you speak to them first. Make sure that you take up that opportunity. Because when our elders guard the table, they're not seeking to withhold blessing. They're seeking to withhold curse. Because when those come to the table who have not prepared themselves, who are not uh, mature, well, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 11. He says when we come without discerning the body of Christ, when we come, well, you remember the, the council of 1 Corinthians 11, right? There were people coming to the Lord's table without preparing themselves, without acknowledging the unity they had with the body of Christ. And they would come, some of them, and they would feast on the bread and they would, would down a, a glass or two of the wine and they would leave nothing for the people behind them. And they would destroy the unity of the church for their gluttony. When they came in this way, without humility, without preparing their hearts, without acknowledging their unity with the body, Paul said there, you're eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. That's what happens when we partake without preparing our hearts, when we partake without understanding and without faith. And so the elders are seeking to prevent our guests and our young members from eating and drinking judgment on themselves. That's an act of love. And when you bring your visitors, you bring your neighbors, make sure they understand that. This isn't seeking to be exclusive. This isn't seeking to show that we're better than others. We're seeking to show love. But when we come, when you who are mature come, make sure you come rightly. And that's the other thing that we see here. This sacrament is to be received or to be served to a unique people, but it's also to be received in a unique way. Our, our confession speaks about where we're to receive the Lord's Supper. It's to be done in the assembly of the people of God. Again, think back to the Passover as was instituted in Exodus 12. He didn't say, you know, each of you go somewhere and get something. No, no, no. They were to gather together in families and extended families. Not partaking as isolated individuals, not acting as though it was just them and God. No, they were to partake together as bodies within the people of God. Today we partake of the Lord's Supper in congregations as part of the family of God. Not as isolated individuals, but as part of the body. And that's part of the message that we find in the Lord's Supper. 
The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, the, the participation of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ, the fellowship of the body of Christ? When we participate in the Lord's Supper rightly by faith, we have fellowship, we have unity with the body and the blood of Christ. And that demonstrates very clearly. Kids, you notice when the Lord's Supper goes around, young people, you notice how all the bread is the same? It all came from the same place. It means we're all eating of the same bread that unites us, it joins us, because it shows us that we all partake of the one Christ by faith. There's only one Savior. We all are joined to that one Savior. We all are filled by the one Holy Spirit. And that means that we are all one. We come from all kinds of different backgrounds. We have all kinds of different gifts and interests and hobbies and careers and families. But, but we are united in Christ. We are one people of God. And so as you prepare to come to the Lord's table, you need to acknowledge that. You need to remember that. And you need to evaluate. Am I one with the people of God? Or is there something keeping me keeping me separated? Is there something that has come between me and a portion of the body of Christ? If there is, I need to deal with that. And I need to deal with it now. That doesn't mean that you need to just shrug and say, well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how that shakes out. No. And it doesn't mean you need to go up to somebody and say, you know, you need to take care of this. No. It means you need to examine your own heart and if there's something between you and somebody else in the congregation, you need to go to them. And you need to lovingly, privately explain what has come between you. And if they've done something wrong, you think, be open to them. And to finding that what you thought was an offense wasn't really an offense. That maybe you misunderstood. And if you didn't misunderstand, then then ask them to turn from it and to, to foster a circumstance that will allow you to be reunified. And if you've done something that has put up a wall between you and your brother or sister in the Lord, make sure you repent and apologize and ask for forgiveness. Jesus said in Matthew 5 how, how important that is. He says if you're bringing your gift to offer on the altar and on your way you realize that your brother has something against you, stop. Leave your gift before the altar. Go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer that gift on the altar. It's more important that we be united with God's people than that we hurry up to get to worship and offer our gift. That's important. And that's what we need to be doing as we're preparing to partake of the Lord's Supper. Think about that. As you partake of the Lord's Supper, as you take that bread, and the minister declares, take, eat, remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus was given for a complete remission of our sins. As you take that bread and put it in your mouth, look around. Look at all the people doing the exact same thing. You're united with every one of them. You are one with every one of them because you're all together partaking of Christ. And when you hear the words, take, drink, remember, and believe that the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for a complete remission of our sins, look at all the heads going back, all the wine going down. It's the blood of Christ that unites us. 
How much greater is that than that paltry offense that has separated you from your brother? Infinitely so. He died. He suffered the pains of hell to deliver us from our sin. Can you not forgive your brother that relatively minor offense? It seemed big at the time, but put it in context of the cross. It's tiny. So work on being restored to one another in the body of Christ and then come. But do more than that. We need to come also as those who've examined our hearts and ensured that we are receiving the Lord aright. That's not complex. That means we need to pause as we prepare to come before the the Lord's table. And we need to ask ourselves, am I really repenting of my sin? Or am I satisfied in it? Am I okay with it? Am I just going on the way I've always gone on? Partaking of my sin without any thought. Am I really repenting of my sin because it displeases God? If I am, wonderful. But if I'm not, then I need to start right now. Seek the Lord today. Repent of your sin this moment. And then we need to ask, having looked at our sin, we need to look at our salvation. Where am I looking for my eternal hope? Am I trusting in myself at all? Am I taking confidence in belonging to this congregation or belonging to that family? Where is my hope to be found? It must be found in Christ alone. That's the only place our hope can rightly be found. Because the promises are not to everyone who partakes. The promises are not to everyone who has their name on a piece of paper. The promises are to those who trust in Christ. So make sure your faith is in Christ And then ask, am I living a life that shows that? Am I living a life that demonstrates my faith by my gratitude? If you are wonderful, redouble your efforts to live as the people of God. But if you're not, then fall to your knees and pray that God would remind you daily of of the grace that's been poured out upon you and of the gratitude that you ought to show. Sin, salvation, service, guilt, grace, gratitude. Evaluate your heart. Evaluate your life. See if you're truly living as those who belong to the Lord. And if you are not, then ask God for help. Ask one of the elders of the church for help. Seek the counsel of the minister. Do what you need to do to to ensure that you're standing before the Lord rightly. And if you're not, or if you are, then by all means, don't hesitate. Come. Come. Come and partake. Come and be nourished. Come and have your faith strengthened along with the people to whom God has united you. Brothers and sisters, we confess that Christ has ordained the Lord's Supper as a peculiar meal. It's peculiar because it's for a unique people. Not for everyone indiscriminately, but for those who have set their hope in Christ alone. Who have been called and joined to Him through regeneration. And those people, if they are to receive it aright, they must receive it in a unique way. Preparing their hearts through self-evaluation, preparing themselves by evaluating their relationship with one another and coming with true living faith in Christ. And if we do, the Lord will richly bless and nourish us through this sacrament. May God so work in us 
that this sacrament of the Lord's Supper would be a great joy, a great source of encouragement, a great source of strength. And may He receive glory through His people. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, You have given us the greatest gift man has ever known in giving us Your Son. And You've given the the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to nourish us in Him, to strengthen our faith in Him. Father, we pray that You would make that sacrament to be a rich blessing to this Your people. And we ask that You would enable us to receive it aright, that it might strengthen and bless us. Father, we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.